you're listening to a collective of Mission City Fellowship. Collectives are classes for learning and growing in grace together. In a collective, there actually is teaching and sharing from those in attendance. We purpose to only record the theological teaching aspect of the collective class. May this teaching bless you. May it deepen your understanding and knowledge of the Lord and His Word. And may it greatly impact the way that we live life with one another at Mission City Fellowship. Okay, I did start the recording. Let's talk about wisdom for redemptive relationship. That's this last section. Kind of wisdom looking at a little bit more in-depthly. Just a few points, and there's, I mean, a number of points here. Number one, uh, be aware that as we move towards people to love and to help and encourage, their life and their situation will reveal your heart and your sin and your fleshly responses. Mm-hmm. Every person I have ever met, this has been the, been the case. I just wish, again, I'd been aware of this. I was talking to Clint. I wish I'd, I'd learned this earlier in my ministry, but it helped so much. I just didn't, didn't know this. I can see in my sin and my fleshly responses to other people's situations, even as I was trying to help them. Let me give you a situation in our church, prior church. Um, we, had to, we had to exercise church discipline on behalf of a man in our church. And it was a difficult case because he was somewhere on the Asperger's. And so we knew that, but he kept crossing the line in some significant ways in physically touching women in the church. And, um, and we just we want to protect him. We need to protect the women, the vulnerable. Um, and so we had worked with him over years with this. So this wasn't just, and it finally got to a point, the last thing I saw him do, I said, that's it, you need to, here's our discipline process. You need to go away for three months, not go away, but you're not gonna be able to attend for three months. And that's what we all, and when you come back, someone always has to be with you. Because we do love you, we care. And he was very receptive to that. He was very receptive. Uh, What happened though, was his sister got involved. And she was not receptive. And she took what was a difficult situation and made it much more difficult. He would have, he was fine, and he was willing to abide by this. And we were having very difficult meetings trying to hammer this out because we really did love him. We really did recognize some of his limitations and things, but we just couldn't have him keep doing what he was doing. Um, and after a couple of meetings, I was just I was sitting there and I was just really irritated, and I just realized my heart wasn't right. Uh, I was irritated. I had n- there was no love for that for that for that sister. And so when we started our third meeting, I just said, you know, before we start this, I just need to confess to you, my heart's not been right, and I've sinned against you in this. Uh, and, and I didn't know what the response would be. It could have gone a lot of different directions, but she was like, kind of taken back. She's like, I never thought I would hear that. And I said, and I really do want to, to follow Christ. I think there's still some hard things to say and to hear, but I want you to know I, I really, my, I want my heart to be right in this towards you and before the Lord. And it changed the whole nature. It was still, we still had to work stuff, but it changed the whole nature of that conversation. Every situation that people feel with, that we're coming along, it reveals our heart. And understand in every 
in every redemptive relationship, whoever you're involved with, you are in much a need of grace as they are in that moment. It's not just what they need. It's not just what they You're as much in need of grace as they are. You need to change in that relationship. You need to grow. Your heart is on display. So we need to be looking for some things, kind of like a metal detector, you know, and it comes across a piece of metal. When you, when you start seeing these things or feeling these things, there should be alarms going off in your relationships or in your conversations. Irritation is a big one. If you're feeling irritated, you need to start processing back to what's going on in your heart, okay? Yeah. Irritation is the manifestation of what? I'm irritated, why? Frustration would be close to that. Impatience. These, if these things are in your life, you need to be saying, why? as a follower of Christ, what is it that's really going on in your life? Indifference. Certainly anger. If you're, if you're angry about a situation or a situation makes you feel angry, why are you feeling angry? If you, if you find yourself belittling or uh, if you're feeling dislike or apathy uh, or you become contentious, argumentative. I think the big word for that is pugnacious. Uh, or you find yourself going towards deflection in your conversation or you become defensive or you go, you're inordinately superficial about what you're talking about. Things like mocking people, condescension. Um, and as you process your own walk with the Lord, these are the things like redemptive relationships have a way of not just the person who needs to grow in grace, but you need to grow in grace, and it reveals your heart as much as their heart's on display. And so in these redemptive relationships, you're thinking, can you make the connections between the details of your daily life and your relationships and your decisions to the Lord? Can you track that? Can you say, yeah, I really do see in that situation, I was tracking there with the Lord. I wanted to honor Christ. I wanted to follow Christ in that area of my life. Are you connecting the dots? That's because so much of redemptive ministry is helping people connect the dots in their life. They, they, they have these things out there. They don't know how they're connected in Christ. So we're trying to connect those dots for people. Can you see your relationship with God in your relationship with others? How can we say we love God who we haven't seen? Yeah. We don't love our brothers who we can't can see. Can you see your relationship and how you respond to people? Are you able to communicate the gospel personally? Uh, pastor I served with before, I loved it. He came with this, this phrase I think is just so great. It's so descriptive. He says, are you gospel fluent? Gospel fluency. Now, is the gospel growing in its direct impact on your relationships? Do you see what Christ did on the cross, what he provided, how that affects all these areas of your life? And can you talk about it? Can you make those connections and then talk about that? Are you growing in your battle with sin? Here's a big one, just in redemptive relate, and how it just kind of exposes where you are. Um, do you ask for help? such a big thing. Just asking for help. Um, man, I need help. Do you, do you, can you see that in your life? Or are you always the one kind of deflecting and you've got to help other people? But you don't really understand what's going on in your heart. Are you growing in the ways you turn to Christ in the midst of suffering, in the midst of the heat? And in all of this, number two, so we're moving on because we've got, got to move here a little bit. Um, 
So, so number one was be aware that as we move towards people and love to encourage them, their life and situation will, will, will reveal our heart and our sin. Number two, helping others, again, I've said this before, must go through Christ and Him crucified. That is our help. That is where we go. Um, or are we just telling people, you just need to resist harder? What God requires, Christ provides. That's the gospel, in essence. So telling someone just, just telling someone what to do doesn't give them the knowledge how to do it, the ability to do it, the power to do it, or the knowledge to do it. The gospel provides all that, and it comes in a person, Jesus Christ. And so we're not just saying, buckle up, try harder, do better. We're pointing it like, no, there is a resource for you, and his name is Jesus. He saved you from your sin. He can work with you. He is working in you through this. And I think what we do in this, and, and sometimes it's just like, it, it, it's like, yeah, there's something, it's not just like we're resisting. Yes, we need to resist. And not, it, it's not, I'm not, I don't want to throw everything out, but the resistance comes out of Christ. And we, we it, it's synergistic. You know, monergistic is how it's single. That's salvation. God does the saving. Synergistic is, is part of sanctification. We're working, we're agreeing, we're, we're submitting, we're going after, we're striving. That's our part in this. But it's still the Lord doing the work. Even in the synergy, he's providing that. It's all on him. We're just, thank you, Lord. Help me to do this. And I'm going to keep going in this direction with your help. Wisdom requires we resist temptation with all of our might. But the gospel gives us something much more beautiful that captures our heart. It, the gospel gives us Jesus. And, and I think I have time to do this. Do you, do you remember the story of the Odyssey? Um, that part, you know, the... Greek mythology written by Homer. Um, <clears throat> there is a, a Odysseus. You remember this part of the story. I think this just helps us capture the difference how we approach, how we deal with sin in our life, in the battle with sin. Remember the island of Sirens? The island of Sirens, there are these beasts, ghastly beasts, that, that, but they would produce this incredibly beautiful song. And when sailors would drive by the island or sail by the island, they would hear the song become so overcome. They would jump into the water and then they would devour them, which is kind of what sin is, you know. Um, well, there was a story uh, that, as the story goes, Odysseus, he was an adventurer. He heard about this. And so what he did was he decided that he wanted to hear this song. So what he did was he had his crew tie him to the mast. And when he sailed by, and then they all put, they put wax in their ears so they wouldn't hear it. But he wanted to hear it. And so, so when he, they sailed by, he was just like, yes, please, untie me. You know, he was so overcome by what he heard, but they wouldn't untie him. And that's kind of a picture of how a lot of Christians fight sin. We really want to, but we can't. We really want to, but we can't. Okay, okay. So, Jason was another adventurer. And he heard about the same thing. Here's what Jason did. Um, he brought in a man by the name of Orpheus who was an incredibly skilled musician with, with the lyre. And basically his mu music was beyond beautiful. So what he did was he had Orpheus stand there, uh, had, had him sit there with his ears plugged up, and he started playing. And when they went by the island of Sirens, his, his music was so much more beautiful than what the Sirens were, mm -hmm. that he wasn't tempted. Mm 
that's the Christian life. Mm -hmm. The gospel is so much more beautiful. That's why we resist. We have some, something so much better. We're not just, I want to, I want to, I want Yes, you do need to do that sometimes. But it's ultimately, it's the big picture of, wait, what do we have in Christ? It's so much more beautiful. It's so much more better. Yeah. Number three, got to keep moving here. In redemptive relationships, don't assume that other people have the same sins that you do. And the flip side of that, don't assume they have the same strengths or weaknesses either. We do that. We project ourselves onto other people's situations. Uh, because we tend to be patient with people who are like us and not patient with people who are not like us. So we kind of project that on there. Uh, and think about how that's going to affect your relationship, how you hear what's going on. I, I am very aware in my life, um, I, I resist order and structure. <laughs> I, like, I don't like schedules and plans and goals are like a chain around my neck. I am married to a woman who's the direct opposite. And we're still married. <laughs> By the grace of God. She thrives on plans and schedules. And I'm like, that just sounds like death to me. You know? Now, I'm, I'm overstating that because I do know the value of goals. And I do know the value of plans. Yes, I, I, and I've learned that. I've learned to come her way some. Uh, and she's had to come my way. <laughs> <clears throat> but think if I'm if, if I'm with and I'm talking to someone might that affect what I'm hearing if I project that upon them? You need to be aware of kind of who you are in redemptive relationships. You don't want to project yourself. Be careful about that you don't use strengths and weaknesses in your life as a template for other people. Don't assume they have those same. Number four. Number three, don't assume other people have the same sins or weaknesses or strengths. Number four, understand the person's story. And this comes back to the rain, uh, the rain of blessing and the heat of suffering. Understanding a person's story is vitally important because we each believe our story authorizes us. It is, it is, it is how we connect things and whether we do it on a deep level or superficial level, our narratives that we form dictate to us and are, become a, an authority in our lives. You talk to someone and it's like, well, this happened and this, why this happened? It did because of this and I did this because of this. And then we went over here and this happened and here's what God was doing here. They're forming a narrative of their life and it's, and it's binding upon them. It's authoritative to them, right? We all, I mean, we do this, right? If you're going to help them, you've got to know what that narrative is. You've got to hear them talk because that narrative defines that person. And if they want to grow in grace, they need to be aware of that. But if they're probably not. That's why it needs somebody who else who's able to hear that. We each craft a narrative that helps us make sense of what we deal with. And we need to understand each other and how we are thinking about our life. We need to do it so we can hear each other's narrative. Knowing someone and praying for them is the essence of redemptive relationships. Remember, we have to know them. And listen, because I think sometimes we feel this. I know I, I, I felt this at times. Sometimes you feel like you're hearing their narrative and it's like, well, that's sinful and that's, that's not... And we want to correct it. Don't at that point. Just hear it. Yeah. Hearing something doesn't, doesn't affirm everything about their narrative. It allows you to hear what's really going on in their life. Okay? And we want to ask the Lord to make us discerning listeners... 
loving and caring and being patient and gentleness, these things, they begin with listening well and really understanding the person's story. You may disagree with what they're saying, their conclusions. That's okay. You don't have to jump on every, at that. When you're, when you're caring for someone, you want to hear their narrative because that's where you have to start. We aren't validating everything by listening. We are validating that they're made in the image of God when we listen. And we respect them. Whether we agree with them or not, we're hearing it. Number five, or understand a person's story. Number five, avoid jumping to premature conclusions. As they talk, they might reference some things in their life. Things, these are trigger words for Christians that we listen for, right? Things that they think about themselves. And it's easy to hear that and just start making all kinds of conclusions. This is an example I've used many times. Uh, you know, they might say, I'm depressed. But let's take the example of, you know, I just deal with a lot of anxiety. So what do we do? Okay, this kind of image. Okay, we go to our cabinet file and we open it and it has all these folders that we have, we put all these verses in. It's like, oh, find the one that says anxiety on it. We pull that file out and we hand it to them. We say, here, don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, right, we hand them, we throw the verse at them. Here's the, here's the rub. Ultimately, they need the word of God. But they're not, they're not responding to it. Why aren't they responding to it? When we, when we take the time to hear the story and not jump to premature conclusions, we're saying, okay, you say you're depressed. Tell me, what does that mean to you? I mean, probably a lot of us in here have dealt with depression to some degree. But we don't want to project ourselves onto them. We want to hear what does that look like to them? How do they feel? Maybe they say, I'm, I feel empty or I'm bipolar. They can use all kinds of, of descriptive things. You have to take the next step and say, well, what does that mean? And what does that look like in your life? Not just, oh, oh, you said that. That triggered this. I know what to tell you. We want to avoid jumping to conclusions. We don't want to bite on categories or descriptive words people use about themselves, at least not too quickly. And we don't want to launch into theological rebuttals of everything, at least to begin with. We're walking alongside of them. Someone may tell you, well, I just, I feel, I feel my, my appearance is hideous. Well, I mean, there's a part of us that says, no, you're made in the image of God. That, I mean, and that, that, that's a right response of the heart. But it might be more helpful to say, well, why do you think that? And what do you mean hideous? What does that look, what would not being hideous look like? Just that little thing gives you a little bit more indication. And it affirms them. Like, yeah, okay, this is someone who's, li before they're going to try to correct or adjust or speak into my life, they're going to know me first. What does that look like in your life? What does that appear like? What do you mean by hideous? Why are you feeling in those moments that you feel hideous? Is there anything that gives you relief? Is there anything when you think about it, it's like, yeah. I don't feel that way when I think about that. Are there verses that come to mind when you think about this that maybe the Lord uses? Our tendency is to launch into theological, theological critique of people when they, when they offer that. Okay? And we're ultimately going because we want them to get out of their narrative into God's narrative, but we need to hear their narrative and make sure that we're hearing it for what it is. Okay? 
Coming to conclusions before you ask clarifying questions leads to false assumptions and unhelpful correction. I, I don't even want to tell you how many times I did that in my ministry. Coming to conclusions before you ask clarifying questions leads to false assumptions and unhelpful correction. Because you think they're dealing with this, and they're not. They're dealing with this over here, but they triggered this for you. And I've done that where I've launched into a 15-minute thing, and they get to the end of it, and they say, well, that's not really what I mean. I was like, oh. <laughs> when, it, when all I would have had to say is, well, what does that mean to you? Why are you asking this? We tend to listen for moral words. The, the, the book I gave out, they, they talk, he talks about ditch verses and, and what, canyon? And canyon verses. It's been a while since I've read that, thought about that. A ditch verse is like someone says, I deal with anxiety. A ditch verse, it means it's just a short hop from what they're talking about to the verse. Oh, don't be anxious. That's just a jump. But then there are other canyon, like, and the scripture says it's all about Christ. One of my assignments was, was in my class on hermeneutics was we had to take the story of the Ethiopian eunuch and apply it to a counseling situation. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's all about Christ. So what was it in that? In Ethiopian, what had he experienced? The violation of his body. What God did to him on that road. How, you know, these are the kind, you're, you're bringing a different narrative. But, but we should be able to counsel from almost anywhere in Scripture. Not that there aren't better verses, but that would be a canyon verse, like, but, we, but it's all about Christ. Okay? We want to be, be careful about, about just throwing bitch verses at people. We want to hear their story. So, just think about this to yourself for a second. What would you say to the brother or sister who says, I feel like nothing? What, what could be a follow-up to that? I mean, we want to say, no, you're not, not you're something, you're made in God. I mean, we know the truth. But what would be a, something that would bring that, a clarifying question? Well, just give an example. What do you mean by that? What makes you think that? What does that feel like? What does it look like? When do you feel that? Are there times that you feel that more than others? What would make you doubt? What would make you excellent? What What would be the twist? I mean, what would be? What do you think you should feel like? Excellent. I mean, just even one question just takes you out of just throwing ditch verses to. Okay, I've heard this. Now I can better address them from the word. Mm -hmm. And they know they've been hurt. That's the thing. If a person, if, if you're not able to give back their story, then they're going to think, well, you really don't know me. Yeah. Six, be careful about giving advice. <laughs> that, that was me. Okay, I'm going to fix this. Advice is like speed counseling. <laughs> and um, you know there is some wisdom sometimes that's called for um, but advice tends to be weak on compassion and it's impersonal and it doesn't seek understanding of the other person's world usually and it shows little effort to understand the heat often because we just want to jump to the fix and here's what I would do <laughs> and people don't tend to seek out people who just give advice quickly. Because they, they, they know it's just, it gets, it's not really helpful. And advice can put relationships at risk. It's become hierarchical. I'm up here, you're down here, I'm telling you what to do. 
And again, there's times, especially leadership, where you do speak to that, but, but that's not first. And it's always coming alongside. And, and here's a, how about, how about, how do we help someone see Christ in a situation that's unsolvable? You're not going to fix it in this life. Do we have a category for that? Or do we always think there's something to do that, and that's why we go to advice. But maybe there's sometimes that it's just like, no, we just have to walk in this and be faithful to Christ and continue to grow in grace. And we live in that tension. Seven, and you've heard this a lot in our church if you've been there, always look for evidences of grace. Always look for evidences of grace. The person, this person reflects God. Um, go on a grace hunt, not a sin hunt. Yeah. Just, just find God's work, Any, anything small. What is the Spirit doing in this person's life? I mean, Paul could tell the church at Corinth, I always thank God for you. You know what a mess the church at Corinth was? There's stuff going on there that even pagans wouldn't do that was being done in that church. And yet he said, I, I give thanks to God for you. We don't want to look for sin first. We need to deal with it ultimately, but don't start there. Don't go on a sin hunt. Go on a grace hunt. Number eight, kind of tied to that. <clears throat> Notice small steps and celebrate them. Don't just notice That's awesome. You know who's good at this? Phil. Yeah, you, you, get in, you can't help but get encouraged around him. Sorry, Phil. Um, <laughs> progressive sanctification. You know, but it's, big, but it's always in small steps. And see, see in those small steps the, the new way that they're responding to the heat of their life. Snoop out growth. Go look for it. Listen for it. Here, here's some examples of progressive sanctification, okay? Things that you can just listen for, especially if you've been walking with the person for a while. Um, they turn from a focus on their past to a focus on the present and future. People who deal with a lot of trauma. And listen, I, I need to say this. People have experienced, have experienced significant, some people have experienced significant trauma in their life. I, we need to be very careful how we handle them. Not handle, I don't even like the word handle, how we care for them. We just want to be very careful about that. Because that, that's something that, that really does have an effect on people's lives. And, and even though they are responsible for how they respond to that, we just want to be careful. We don't want to be too dismissive of that kind of stuff. But when someone who's, who's suffered significant problems, and you, you start to hear them talking about, they're not just living in the past, they're living... They're looking for the grace of God now. They're looking to the future of what God. That's that's growth. You hear us. You hear them make a statement like that. Celebrate that. That's awesome. That's the first time I've heard you talk like that. All you've been talking about is the past. Now you're talking about now and what God's doing in the future. A person who who goes from being inward to being outward. You know, it's that depressed person who who says, you know what? I feel drawn. I'm going to go find out who that person is, and I just want to come alongside them. They're, they're going after somebody else. Oh, that's awesome. Look at what God's doing there. Someone who goes from blaming to owning. They're no longer, just, I'm the victim and this is all done to me too. No, I, I'm even though horrible things may have been done to me, I'm still responsible for how I respond to that. 
and that my Savior gives me a better way to respond, and I'm going to look to Him. They go from crying to crying out to the Lord. Instead of just, woe's me, I'm done, to, woe's me, Lord, please hear my prayer. They're just small steps like that. They go from sorrow to comfort and from comfort to joy. And you're just celebrating this. They go from darkness to where they have a vision of something different. You know, make a big deal out of movements of faith, however small. And give thanks to God and help them to see it because they probably don't always see it. They think nothing's happening, nothing's moving. Number eight. No, that's a number nine. My numbering's off. But I am on the right page, though. <laughs> Number nine, listen for pain when you talk to people. Suffering is often the key to understanding a person. As you listen to the person, do you pick up on their troubles? It could be in the form of sin. It could be suffering from something that they're not responsible for, but happening to them. And how do you respond to those who are hurting? How do you communicate with those who are grieving? And again, that book I mentioned earlier by Nancy Guthrie is a good book. Do you know how to love those who suffer? If your only option is advice, you will have very little to say to a sufferer. You feel like you have to give an answer. Sometimes with sufferers, you just there. And you just pray with them. Sometimes all you can say is, I love you, and I'm just so sorry you're going through this. Number, number 10, don't ignore sin. The person sins. There's sin in their life. But what do you do in response when someone confesses sin to you? How about expressing, if not in these words, at least with this attitude, I'm honored that you would trust me with this. You opened, you opened your heart and made yourself vulnerable to me. How, now, how can we move forward? Because we know sin is deadly. We don't want it. How do we move forward together? Someone confessing sin to you is very different than you looking for sin. And that, that's the radar that we have. That they would speak hard things about their lives. It's a divine moment. It should be like, thank you for sharing that. Okay, now how do we go forward together? Number 11. Just about everything I said here can be applied to relationships with unbelievers. Listen for the good in their life. Listen for suffering. Listen for sin. They may not have those categories, but we do. Sadness and sin and plain old humanity, uh, it draws us into their heart. We're able to engage with people like that. So you're talking to a neighbor and he brings up his son's little league team and says, oh, that sounds great. How about saying, I just so appreciate as a dad that you give yourself to your son like that. That says a lot. Why do you do that? You've gone from just a casual relationship trying to move towards something redemptive. And maybe, maybe you're, and what's happening here, and I like this, these phrases too, you're having a gospel presence in someone's life so that you will then be able to have a gospel voice in their life. And that's what we're really called to. We have a gospel presence in their lives so that we can have a gospel voice. Whether they ever respond to the gospel and the voice we give, we're still going to have a gospel presence because we love them and they're made in the image of God. But it, it applies the same way. 
Instead of, hey, neighbor, your, your yard looks nice. How about, man, you must really care about beauty. Just, you're engaging something more, you know, uh, with them. And as they begin to tell you about themselves, you look for the good in their life. Look, listen for the suffering. Uh, listen for the pain. Move towards people. That's such a powerful thing. Number 12. This is where we kind of pivot a little bit and we learn to access scripture for, for another person. We're learning to access scripture for another person. Redemptive relationships are ultimately about moving from our narrative into God's narrative. And God's narrative is the word of God. We want to align our lives, our reactions, our responses, the way we process the heat of suffering or the rain of blessing. We want to process our responses. Uh, we want to process everything about life according to the narrative of God's word, which gives us the truth. Often our personal narratives try to make the word of God align with our narratives. And that's really where the people get in trouble. They come along and say like, yeah, here's my narrative, and God, God, God blesses that, and God, God, God is the one who's authorizing my narrative. And we're, we're trying to help them see, no, what, the narrative that matters here is God's, not yours. Yours should serve God's, not God's narrative serving you. And in yours serving God, there is joy and freedom and, and release and everything that you want. It's not any other way around. So, as we're, as we're just walking with people, whether it's in a purposeful counseling situation or whether it's just a long-term redemptive relationship, uh, you're, you're just trying to bring the Bible to bear in a way that's winsome, that helps them to understand these things. And the goal is that as they're reading the Word, they're saying, that's me. I see myself there. So here's some useful skills. You, you number one, need to know the Word, obviously. <laughs> you need to know the Word. Can you, can you put... Like, like, let's say a passage from Ephesians into your own words and be able to walk someone through that. Can you, can you put a book into your own, can you know, can you trace the themes of Romans? Instead of saying Romans 8, 28, what does it say? God causes all things to work together for the good. Isn't that a wonderful verse? But how about starting in chapter one where it says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And then the fall at the end of Roman, Romans 1. And then what God was doing. And you take them on this narrative that gets them out of their narrative that just sees, oh, God's going to make everything work for my good. To see what God is doing. You see, we're trying to get them into God's word instead of just throwing a verse at them. But you have to know the word. Well, I would say, uh, I would say find a passage that, you, uh, that, you, that, that, that the Lord just ministered to you that you can often go to with people. So let's just track what God's doing in this in these verses. And you can pray through that. Psalm 77 is a good one. The book of Ephesians. Know the book of Ephesians well enough that you can just counsel it. Actually, I wish I would have thought about this. I actually have a counseling article on how to counsel the book of Ephesians. I might, I might, I might see if I can post that. You know, Philippians. What is Philippians about? It's about joy in the middle of, of you know, Paul's in jail. Hebrews. Christ is superior. Know these themes. What is, what is Exodus about? Deliverance. But don't just say, hey, Exodus is about this. Let's go read what God was doing here and how that points us towards Christ and what he did. 
Psalms. Psalms is just, just this honest worship of crying out to the Lord. Can you identify in a book or in a passage that, aha, I see it, that's what this is. That's when you're able to help people that you're counseling with come to bear. That book I gave out, if you want to buy it, that, it, it, just, it goes into further detail how to help you do that with people. So have a passage uh, that you know well and can turn to and talk about easily and redemptively. You know, you can talk about what, what would be some of the themes you would think from Genesis? Just kind of a flyover. What, what, what do we see as themes in Genesis? Creation. 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 Redemption. Redemption. Promise. Fall. Fall. Hiding. Fig leaves. Cover. Cover. Defending. Shame. Deflecting. Okay. Oh, okay, you think people, <laughs> that relates to modern people? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, go to Hosea. What's Hosea about? Our unfaithfulness and God's such God's love. Moving towards unfaithful. You know, Psalm 23, God is a shepherd. Know the word well enough that you can bring these things to bear in people's lives. It's just become so important. Some of the New Testament themes, idolatry. It focuses on the heart, the things that take the place of Christ in our life. Ephesians is about being in Christ. Well, how could that help somebody who's, who's, who's suffering in various ways or who's confused about their identity or about what God does? First Peter is about suffering, God's people suffering well. Again, that, I think that book is just a very, very helpful thing. We're almost to the end here. Quickly. Number 13, right? 13. Always when you're when in redemptive relationships... Always think we, not you. Uh, again, this points back to, the, to hearing their story to some degree. It's identifying with them. It's compassion. It's understanding. People know if we, can, if we communicate, yeah, that's you, but it's not me. That's yeah, just not good. When we see the we in their struggles, it changes us. Like, yeah, but by the grace of God, that would be me. I see it. Maybe I don't have that specific kind of struggle, but I can see it in this area. It's applied over here. It's still we. Ed Welch tells the story. He was, there was a court-appointed guy that, had, that he had to do counseling. He ended up doing counseling. He was a, he was a, um, a predator, a molester, child molester. And he said the only time in his whole minute, his whole life in counseling where he walked into a room and he was physically repulsed by this man. And he said, you know, you try to, but he just, he just. And as he started engaging with this man, this man basically was talking about, um, you know what, I just want to do what I want to do. And he was like, aha, that's the weed, that's me. But by the grace of God, I could go down that direction. And yet God didn't prevent that. I mean, there's a big difference between what the guy did. But it's like he saw the, it was just he was committed to his own, he wanted what he wanted. Who doesn't relate to that? It just took a particularly horrible, you know, expression in his life. Fourteen. A person must voice a real connection between their struggle and the new life in Christ, and the new life that Christ makes possible. A person must voice a real connection between their struggle and the new life that Christ makes possible. If they can't see it, if they can't say it, 
They don't own it. If you're the one providing all the truth all the time and they don't ever say it themselves, then they probably really don't got it yet. There was a young man I counseled with for a long time who dealt with some pretty significant emotional problems. One of them was OCD. Uh, he, his particular thing was called scrupulosity. Um, and it was just really sad. But I, for the first six months, I was, always, I was the one always pointing the truth. But, but here's what the word says. It says this. And I began to be hopeful when it began to say, man, when he began to voice that. It came out of him. He still had trouble accepting it, but he began to voice it because he saw it. So we, in redemptive relationships, the other person, cannot, if they cannot envision something different, they will not get there because they can't see it. Because they don't own it. If they aren't identifying the issues of their hearts, they're not going to deal with it. So we have to help them see the real issues. What does it look like not to give way to an angry outburst? What could be in its place? What does Christ make possible? What would it be like to no longer be hounded by porn? And getting them to think about these things. What might hope look like for someone who's overcome with regret? We're, we're, we're trying to point them. But understanding they have to see this. They've they got to begin to think, like, there is hope. There is something different that can happen. What does growth look like for someone who's a hoarder? I mean, all these things. That, that we deal with. And finally this. The destination must be more than symptom relief. You know the difference between ibuprofen and hydrocodone? Prescription. Well, prescription, but <laughs> what, do, what, does ibuprofen, what does ibuprofen do? It takes away swelling. What does hydrocodone do? It masks the pain. Now again, if you can relieve suffering, I would say yes. But ultimately, it's about, we're not just trying to, to cover the mass something. We want, we want to deal with the real hard issues. So we're going to do harder things than just like, hey, let's just cover this up, sweep it under the rug, and go on. We want to be faithful followers of Christ no matter what we face. And that's so much more glorious, so much more worthy than, than symptom relief. Because we know where we're going. We know where we're going. That gives us hope for what we do now. The destination must be more than symptom relief. Mm 